1: Welcome in, friends, fans, and well-wishers. This is the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Navo from NBC5 Chicago. With me, of course, as always, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score, of the I'm Fat Podcast, and the original Gerber Baby. In case you didn't know that, Jay used to be a baby model. How you doing, Mr. Zawoski?
3: I'm not that old. I know I'm old, but I'm not that old. I'm not old enough to be the original Gerber Baby. When I was a baby, I was you know had a chubby face, shocking to no one. Welcome into the Madhouse Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for joining us here. James and I sort of decided to do this one uh, after the Andrew Shaw news broke, which we're definitely going to get to. Uh, but first, we're going to react to the Blackhawks 6-5 loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Real quick, get in touch with us, madhousepod at gmail.com, Twitter at madhousepod, Instagram, madhouse underscore pod, We're on Facebook. Just search for the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast and check out our merchandise shop, madhousepodmerch.com, powered by our friends at Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris, 708-478-6090, Triple Threat Sports. If you can wear it, they can make it. That's madhousepodmerch.com. And everything Madhouse Podcast lives at madhousepod.com. Including my book, The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Chicago Blackhawks. If you're looking for a signed copy, that's where you get it. Madhousepod.com slash book.
1: All right. It makes the perfect Valentine's Day present.
3: It really does. I agree with you. Thank you, James. (laughs) I've got about 20 left here in my office slash studio slash shipping department. So if you want to get one, uh, feel free. Madhousepod.com slash book. All right. Um, Crazy game tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Hawks lose 6-5 after surrendering two goals in the last three minutes of the game. Uh, Alex DeBrinket had um, uh, broken the 4-4 deadlock. It looked like the Hawks had things in hand and then two quick ones from Columbus and uh, the Hawks walk away with the loss. And this one, you know, there's a lot of positives. Again, you had Ian Mitchell and Nicholas Bodin score their first career goals in this game. Pia Suter scored again. Uh, there's a lot of good things on offense, but defensively, this was a tough game for everybody, including Kevin Lankinen, who I think would like to have a number of the goals he gave up back.
1: Yeah, this was probably one of the roughest games that Lankinen has had, and obviously his defense was doing him absolutely no favors. Right. I'm sure that we'll... Get into some of the kind of number, the possession numbers tonight, which were just absolutely Ugh. appalling. Awful. But I, I, I do, I think it definitely begins, I think, with the defense and with Kevin and I know the Blackhawks, they, Columbus isn't a great team in terms of their offense, but they... We're skating circles around the Blackhawks a lot tonight, and the Blackhawks defensemen were taking some really poor angles, and that basically was true of just about everybody. I know Ian Mitchell had a rough play on one of the goals. I know that uh, Nikita Zadorov had a couple of rough plays on goals as well. It was just a really rough night overall for the Blue Liners, and I think the question, obviously, after a game like that does have to be asked Do you just need to stick with six defensemen and just like kind of get rid of this mixing and matching experiment that they've been doing? And I know they've had success in terms of wins and losses lately, but if you look at possession, they've been doing the seven defenseman thing and their possession numbers have been struggling badly. And I'm wondering if not allowing any of these defensive pairings to potentially get some chemistry and kind of get some comfort going. I wonder if that has something to do with it. And of course, Losing Connor Murphy is also going to have kind of a detrimental impact there, so I think there are at least a few things we can potentially point to with the blue line struggles and with them giving up the six goals tonight
3: yeah i you know the the logic would tell you that having more defensemen means everyone is fresher, but I think your point is is valid in that you 're not letting guys get a rhythm together you 're not letting guys get timing together. And when you look at the minutes, you know, Nicholas Baudin played thirteen thirty one. Okay, but he's been one of your most effective defensemen. And Madison, uh, Bowie had an assist. He was plus one, played eleven forty nine. But I just don't know, what is that accomplishing, right? Wouldn't you rather right. give Baudin, and look, Baudin was not blameless in this game, four giveaways in this one. Uh, including, including
1: one that directly led to a Cam Atkinson shorthanded goal.
3: Right, I just think you know get these guys out there playing more let these young guys play they should not be out of gas they should be you know what I mean the the young defensemen should be the ones ready to go I don't know Boquist is coming back soon he's gonna play I I just it's kind of a situation of you've got all these young defensemen you want to develop while at the same time you have these veterans that have to play because they're here and it's, it's a weird place to be for Jeremy Cowlin. So I sort of expect the seven defenseman thing to continue. And I don't want to go too crazy saying, like, we got to change everything they're doing because they lost this game. This is a really fluky game where your goaltender, who's been outstanding, had an off night. And your defense was really bad. There were so many moments where the Hawks' defense was just pin deep and could not get out of their own ways. That mm-hmm. happened way, way, way too many times. And that's... You know, even when the Hawks have been winning, you and I have talked about our dissatisfaction sometimes with the Hawks system, where it's it's tough, it's complicated, and that was very well illustrated on the game-winning goal, where you had Duncan Keith on. He was on the left D. If you're looking from the goalie's perspective, Keith goes for a poke check. It gets behind him. Then Zadorov's got to come from the other side, and he almost gets there. He gets the stick out, tries to interfere with the shot as much as he can and then his sticks in a way when the shot's made and it probably redirects the puck a little bit, that's those guys getting crossed up a little bit. Instead of just playing, Keith's got the left, Zadorov has the right. I don't know. Things got, things got kind of scrambly in those moments, and you see that a lot. And I think the complication of the defensive system, plus the fact that the Hawks don't have a lot of defensemen that are very fleet of foot, even their young defensemen are not super fast. No. So no. I, I think even like I said, even in the games they've won, you've seen shifts where it's, you know, 90 seconds, you know, two minutes of them pinned in their own zone, just just fighting for their lives. More often than not, Kevin Lincoln has been able to bail them out from that. Tonight, that, that wasn't the case. And, and you're looking at a 6-5 loss because of it.
1: And most of the successes the Blackhawks had tonight were not of that kind of park in the offensive zone and get-to-work variety, right? A lot of the successes they had were in transition, and I start to wonder if maybe in the third period they were going for a few too many home run plays, they had kind of seen what had happened with... Bo Dan and Ian Mitchell on their first career goals in the second period where they were way into the offensive zone when they scored. I mean, Bodan was practically, you know, standing in the goal crease when he scored. And same thing with Ian Mitchell. They were both right up there next to the net. And I'm, I wonder, obviously, you know, these kids are young. They're still learning the NHL game. I do wonder if maybe there was an element of perhaps over-aggressiveness that kind of crept into their games as that went on. I mean, they kind of, this game, felt like a track meet, And then ultimately you look at the Corsi numbers and the Blackhawks were uh, out Corsi 67% to 33. That is awful for a full game. Like I cannot get over how bad that is. And then, This does dovetail into another criticism that I had of the structure and the system, especially in that third period. This time on the offensive side of things, the extra forward on the ice for the final sequence for the Blackhawks, they had Suter, Brinkett and Kane out there, which that line tonight, we will get to positives, I promise. Mm -hmm. That line was insane tonight. You know who the fourth forward was on the ice for that? It was Carl Soderberg who had four shot attempts, four and 19 against tonight. He was one of your worst possession forwards, and yet for some reason, at the end of the game, he was out there instead of a guy like a Philip Kurishev, a Dylan Strom, something Somebody like that could have easily been on the ice for that sequence, and instead they had Soderbergh, and it basically was just a completely wasted possession, and just indicative, I think, of some of the breakdowns, both structurally and strategically, I think, for the Blackhawks in this game, and especially in that third period.
3: Well, if you're looking for a justification for Soderbergh, and I'm not saying this is this is it, but if you're looking for a reason, he won 75% of his face-offs. He was at nine wins, three losses at the faceoff dot. And we know how much Jeremy Counten values those faceoffs. We see him start overtime all the time with David Kampf. And if they win the draw, <laughs> right, Pe- Patrick Kane stays on and Camp leaves. If they lose a draw, Camp stays on and Kane leaves. That, well, a- then
1: why wasn't David Camp on the ice? He had a fantastic game tonight. I agree. His his play on that goal by I think it was the Mitchell goal was insane. He drove to the ice, took two Blue Jackets with him, and then Seth Jones had to cheat over to try to get to him because he had beaten both those guys, leaving Ian Mitchell, of course, wide open in front of the net. I would have liked to have seen Camp out on the ice for that, perhaps.
3: Yeah, it looked like Camp was out there uh, about a shift before the game-winning goal was scored. Looking at but these they had also called here. a timeout exactly. to kind of like
1: settle things down. I thought that was enough to be like, you know what, Camp, suck it up, dog, get out there.
3: Yeah, I know, and it's you know it's it's a frustrating loss because of the way it went down, and it felt like every time Columbus started to come back, the Hawks would have that answer, and then two breakdowns late were just uh, it was just too much to overcome. So uh, definitely a frustrating night. Definitely, uh, but look again. They're competitive. They're in the game. They're mo- They're you know they're minutes away from winning the game. They're three minutes away from getting another win. Uh, and you know, had things gone another way, we'd all be feeling a lot better about this whole thing. But yeah. looking deep into those numbers, defensively, it was bad. You we keep talking about Matthias Janmark, right? And how wow he looks good, and the eye test really serves him well. His Corsi percentage was seven.
1: It's the, like, I don't, I don't recall the last time I saw a guy have two Corsi attempts for and 24 against. I don't remember the last time that has happened
3: Two, f- say it again. Two Corsi attempts for two, 24,
1: 24 against. against.
3: so if you don't know Corsi measures shot attempts, so yep. two shot attempts for the Blackhawks in the 1343. Yanmark was on the ice 24 against Dylan Strom had five shot attempts while they were on the ice. Twenty-four against him. I mean, those guys are getting pasted in possession. That's the Blackhawks that's basically crazy. had
1: one line tonight. Like the rest of their lines got completely obliterated in terms of possession. The Suter Kane to line was well over two thirds success rate in terms of course.
3: Suter seventy five percent, Kane sixty eight, debrinkit sixty six. There you go. The That's eye the test did not lie in this game. game, no doubt. The, the <laughs> eye test did not lie in this one because that line was flying. And man, let's t- let's take a second. And I know we've been basking in the glory of the how good the Hawks rookies have been, mm-hmm. but Alex DeBrinket is friggin' back. I mean, <laughs> any concerns we had about Alex DeBrinket last season, you can throw them out the window. And you saw on that uh, Kane goal. Debrinkit, of all people, little Alex Debrinkit wins a board battle and gets the pass out to Patrick Kane, who scores on the power plate. Alex Debrinkit is doing everything. And what I really like to see was that A on his sweater tonight. With Andrew Shaw out, mm-hmm. Alex Debrinkit had the A on the sweater at home. And I wonder now with Murphy out too, someone's going to have to wear it on the road. We're going to find that out in a little bit too. But. Uh, love to see DeBrinket rewarded with a leadership role because he's shown it, he's earned it, and it's crazy. At twenty three years old, he's one of the most experienced guys on this team. It's it's really wild, and it's great to see he has been phenomenal. Three more points for DeBrinket, uh, in this game. Patrick Kane the same with three points of his own, and uh, Nicholas Bodan had two.
1: Uh, Calvin Dehan, I think will probably get the A, is what I would guess. When I start The six-game road trip. Um, I did. I messaged you after that play happened with DeBrinkit. He beat out Seth Jones for that puck in the corner. Mm-hmm. A guy who I think is like eight inches taller than he is and weighs like ninety pounds more than DeBrinkit does. And DeBrinkit went in there and beat him. I think I met. I messaged you and I said, "Did Torts is he gonna hit Seth Jones with a folding chair for that? Because <laughs> I mean, he benches Patrick Line. How do you punish?" your top defenseman on the ice. Like, do you hit him with something? Like, I don't even know how that works. But, I mean, I, I, I've I, been saying it since debrinkit came back from COVID. That dude, even before that, was looking really solid. He looks like a different player. This might... This might go down as one of the best stretches of his career. Please treasure this from Alex DeBrenkid. That dude is all over the ice doing everything you could possibly want him to do. He's back-checking. He's playing physically. He's winning board battles, for God's sake. And then his shot right now is just, ugh. It is a thing of beauty to watch that man shoot the puck on the rush and he is just locating everything so precisely and his passing's been great and a lot of that do, a lot of this does go to Patrick Kane. I know Kane's been having a really good run of things lately as well. He mm-hmm. was fantastic tonight. But Alex DeBrincat when he's playing like this, you're reminded of why he got the big money contract, the extension with the Blackhawks. That kid, tw- like you said, 23 years old. He was a monster tonight and has been ever since he's come off that COVID list. Yeah,
3: And look, he was pretty solid before it, too, which is remarkable. Uh, boy, you mentioned Seth Jones, by the way. 80% Corsi. 28 shot attempts for seven against. He was second on the team behind Riley Nash, who was 82.35. But Seth Jones did that in 1907 at five on five. His game line, Seth Jones one assist somehow was a minus 2 26 12 of ice time five shots another shot was blocked two shots were missed seven hits a takeaway and two block shots that dude is awesome we we
1: also <laughs> do need to point out he was missing his regular defensive partner tonight yeah, Zach Wierenski. Wierenski for the blue jackets
3: yep uh he was out so that's that's an adjustment for him and we, i want to mention too i tweeted about it during the game before he scored his second goal Jack Roslevic, who is the other piece in the line A trade, who kid, and it always kills me, but the kid grew up a Blue Jackets fan, which to me is just not a concept.
1: Nope. I I still (laughs) refuse to believe this. Every time it gets brought up, I'm just like, nope, kids, Blue Jackets, NHL now. No,
3: I know it's wild, but he grew up a Blue Jackets fan and has been really, really good uh since he joined Columbus that's gotta be cool to just play for the team he grew up running for his family's been season ticket holders since the inception of the Blue Jackets think about that what a cool cool thing for him to get traded uh to the team he grew up cheering for all right um good stuff about tonight's game James we want to get to Andrew Shaw but before we do I came down here during the first intermission and I grabbed a piece of audio that I heard during the game it was uh Pat Foley and Eddie Olchek talking about something Jeremy Cowlton did before this season I want to play this audio and we can react to it on the other side of it this courtesy of our friends at NBC Sports Net Chicago
2: we talked right at the start of this broadcast all the new guys that the Blackhawks have put in their lineup this year one thing that Jeremy Cowlton did before anybody even showed up to camp you know guys like Kurashev or Suter guys that had never been over to North America or a guy like Ian Mitchell There are no off days, I don't think, in the NHL anymore. And uh, so, Colliden spent a lot of time watching video from those guys playing in Europe or Ian Mitchell over at uh, DU and utilized that. So when he first saw them this year, before he ever got them on the ice, he was able to have conversations about maybe some things they could incorporate into their games that would be helpful to their pro career. So, now... uh, nothing matters until you see a guy in front of you you coached and you know that better than anybody partner but to be able to have a conversation and have a feel for how a guy plays what his tendencies are gotta think that's got to be helpful to a kid especially coming over to north america for the first time looking for any edge possible any
0: familiarity look at when coach collinson would grab a guy and say something and mention you know that hey I saw you do this on this game or whatever. All of a sudden, it's going to get your players' attention. You're going to feel, you know, if you're 5'11", you're going to go to 6'11 pretty quick if your coach <laughs> is sitting there, you know, talking about And, and you're taking a hand pass here, you know, taking an interest in the player, the new player. Um, and, and I think that that's probably the one thing I think Coach Colleton probably would have the biggest impact on a young player like that, regardless of where they played, is that, you know, you're, you're trying to develop a relationship with the player yeah, he's the coach, and, you know, you're. And these guys are the players, but if you can personalize it as best you can. Now, that kind of stuff didn't happen back in the day. It's it's much newer, much fresher approach probably over the course of the last, you know, I'll probably say last seven to ten years from that aspect of it, of, you know, texting your players, uh, you know, calling them on the phone. I mean, the only time you ever saw coaches back in the day was either on the airplane, the bus, or at the rink. Other than that, I mean, you know, like, that's just the way it was. So uh, every little bit helps and uh great start by the young players so far for the Hawks. I
3: just thought that was interesting. And, and not just the concept of, you know, contacting your players in the off season, pre-scouting your prospects, which I don't think this is something Jeremy Cowden invented by any means, but when we heard Stan Bowman talk about what Jeremy Cowden does well, these were the things he was talking about with young players Helping them, growing those relationships. And look, uh, regardless of what you think of his system, and I know James, like me, you're not totally sold on it, you can't ignore the fact that young players are coming here and thriving quickly under Jeremy Cowton's system and under Jeremy Cowton's guidance. So I want to give him credit there. The other thing is, you're starting to hear a little bit of a change in tone about Cowton from the broadcast team, which I think is significant. You got two guys who are made men, right? Eddie Olchek and Pat Foley can say whatever they want. They're never going to get fired. They're two of the best in the business. They're beloved in this town, yada, yada, yada. And I think for a long time, I don't know. Everyone knows what I'm talking about, right? It's not outright criticism, but there's those little snide comments or a certain tone or a certain quip made a certain way. It seems like this season, the tone of the conversation around Jeremy Cowden has changed a little bit from those two guys. And I, and I think that's uh, that's a good sign because it means they're seeing things that they like as well.
1: Yeah, you start to wonder if maybe, not. I'm not obviously going to say that it's like an organizational edict or anything like that, but I do wonder if maybe it has something to do with the fact that the kind of expectations and the Prism with which you kind of view the team from, whether that's kind of playing into that for Edzo and Pat Foley, and obviously I think that some of the points that they brought up were exactly right about Jeremy, and he's obviously going to you know a lot of trouble right now to scout the team before they got here, and you're seeing the results of this with basically every rookie that is strapped on skates so far this season. I think that mm-hmm. you've already seen great progress from Nicholas Bodan. I know Ian Mitchell's been kind of up and down. Had a really nice game tonight. Obviously, we've seen a ton from Pew Suter so far in this season. He was fantastic again tonight. Bill Kershev, same thing with him. Brandon Hagel, hell, good Lord, man. Brandon Hagel is quickly (laughs) establishing himself as a fan favorite. I know a lot of people on Twitter are kind of gravitating towards him. Even guys like Russell Dorsey, who covers the Cubs for the Chicago Sun-Times, has basically said, you know, this Hagel kid, I like him. He He reminds me a lot of a young Andrew Shaw. I'm going to go ahead and point that out. Definitely. Um... But I'm just, I I think with Colleton, I think the change in tone in terms of addressing what he's been doing for the Blackhawks, I would imagine has at least something to do with the change in expectations and kind of the focus of this season. But at the same time, I also do think that there are some results there that you can praise him for and elements of this whole thing that you can focus on that are positive. And I do want to give Coach Colleton a lot of credit for that. And like you said, it is coming from broadcasters, but it's also coming from the players. I know mm-hmm. that Ian Mitchell, after the game tonight, said it's a bad feeling in all of our stomachs that one got away from us. JC said we got to learn from it and try not to let it happen again. It got away from us. That, I mean, that's something that clearly Colletton said something that got through to those young guys. And obviously, they're the ones whose ears he really has to have in order for this rebuild to be successful. And based on some of the comments that these guys have been making, there is some serious buy-in amongst the guys who kind of make up what's going to be the future core, potentially, of the Chicago Blackhawks.
3: I'm glad you mentioned that. And I'm glad that Ian Mitchell said that because there were a few times tonight where the Hawks would get a lead. And immediately take the foot off the gas, right? You saw it after uh they went up four two, and then you saw it after after they went up five four, they stopped they stopped pushing as hard as they did. That is the sign of a young team. That is a sign of a team that's you know, they're fighting really hard to get back in the game and to tie it or to take that lead, and then once they do it, oh, there's that little letdown, and they're not talented enough to have those little letdowns anymore. Back when the Hawks were winning Stanley Cups, how many times do we use the term flip the switch, flip the switch, flip the switch? They have the talent to do that. We're going to say, oh, we're down two and it's the third. All right, playoff mode. And they would just go and they would win the game, right? Um, this team does not have the talent to take the foot off the gas. Lesson learned. And to hear Ian Mitchell say that tonight is really encouraging. And I'm glad that Calton gave that message to those. I mean, it's obvious to give the message. I'm not, he's not yeah. doing anything wild. But the fact that he said, hey, look, good learning experience right and another example of that is Bodan turns the puck over to Atkinson and whereas John Tortorella may have benched Bodan to teach him a lesson nope right back <laughs> over those boards you go Bodan hey, and Joel
1: Quenville may have done that too maybe Let's not put that past cue
3: sure and this is why when you've got this new generation of young players you want a young coach to lead them. is Jeremy Cowden the right coach to lead this team that remains to be seen but so far this season the results with the young players have been Uh, overwhelmingly positive all right before we get to Shaw and wrap things up uh, I ran two polls on the Madhouse pod Twitter account make sure you follow us at Madhouse pod I want to see have you seen these James I don't want to I'm going to have you guess if you've not seen this poll
1: yeah don't poison the well I have not seen these yet okay
3: so I ran first question was which Blackhawks rookie forward has impressed you the most I said Suter Hagel Kurashev or Johnson you want to take a guess on that one
1: um judging by black I'm going to say Suter.
3: Suter 49%, Hegel 32, Kurishov 19 and Johnson was 0, which makes sense. I just needed I was a,
1: almost going yeah. to talk myself into Hegel and then I was like, "No, stupid, go with the obvious here."
3: See, I voted for Hegel because expectation versus realization, right? I think we had an expectation that Suter would be pretty good offensively. He's been better than we thought, that's for sure, but I think Hegel's been the most surprising. We joked about uh you you initially joked about the fourth line farm owned by Stan Bowman out there in uh, somewhere in Canada.
1: I'm sensing a t-shirt for that by the way. It's a
3: damn good idea. <laughs> oh, you're a genius. All right, I got to work on that with Triple Threat Sports. Um so that's who I voted for just because of like wow, he's a lot better than I thought. All right, same question, which Blackhawks rookie defenseman has impressed you the most? I have Bodan, Carlson, Mitchell.
1: I'm guessing that'll be Bodan.
3: No. I was surprised by that, too. Ian Mitchell, 53 uh, percent. Bodan, 39. Carlson, 8. I was not very gonna, surprised. I'm to say Bodin. that's wrong. It's not but... wrong. But I thought for sure, just knowing Hawks fans, that they would have said Bodan.
1: Hmm. Interesting. I thought so, too. I'll I'll, I'll go with that. I mean, I have I have not been unimpressed by Ian Mitchell. Like I had mentioned earlier in the show, I think there's been some up and down to his game for sure. But it's been more positive than negative, at least from my perspective. So, I'm okay with that, Madhouse listeners. Y'all y'all know your hockey, too. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You do.
3: No doubt. Uh, speaking of Ian Mitchell, uh, when I first saw a picture of him in camp this year, I sent a picture of him to Joe Zadralovich from Marishka's. I'm like, this kid could be your son or your brother. He looks like a Zadralovich. He's like, I don't see it. I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> they have like the same coloring, the same hair color. They've got a similar smile. Anyway, you want a smile? Go to Marishka's yourself. Marishka's in Crest Hill, 604 Theater Street. They're family-owned and operated since 1933. They are open for dine-in, so if you're comfortable doing that uh, or if you're on the fence and you've been thinking about it, I promise you, if anyone's going to keep you safe at their restaurant, it's going to be our friends at because They've been doing it right since 1933, and they're not going to change now. Go support these local businesses. Try the poor boy. Try the steaks, the chops, the seafood, the twice-baked potato. Lent is coming. The Icelandic cod is can not miss. But everything in the menu is fantastic. Again, Mariska's 604 Theater Street. They're family owned and operated since 1933. Close only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. So you've got some time to get out to Crest Hill and visit Mariska's. All right, James, before we wrap up uh, this abbreviated postgame podcast, we've got to mention it. Uh, we already said Connor Murphy's out for the 10 to 14 days with a hip injury. Uh, but much, much more concerning is Andrew Shaw, once again, placed on the concussion protocol. And uh, just judging by the tenor of the conversation today, it does not sound good. Jeremy Cowton just sort of said, it's terrible. There's really not much more to say about it. And uh, boy, it feels like we had just been singing the praises of Andrew Shaw and how much he's meant to the power play and to the team and to everything. And to see him battle back from what happened to him last season, have the success he was having, and then just have it derailed again. It's heartbreaking, man. And I, you know, I don't want to speculate. I don't want to give Andrew Shaw life advice because it's not my business. um But you've got to wonder if he takes a look at his family and his kids and says, "I'm not doing this again. I can't go through this again. I got to think about the next thirty, forty years of my life." And uh if that, if that becomes the case, where Andrew Shaw decides to hang up the skates, who could blame him?
1: Now. I don't think anybody can, and I obviously am not going to blame him if he wants to come back and play. I mean, that's obviously – that is totally his decision and should be, and I think what I'll try to focus on right now just because obviously the alternative is just kind of wallowing in, like, you know, sadness, I guess you would say, just over something like this happening to a guy like Andrew Shaw, I'm going to focus on the fact that it's such a bummer that his – Positive presence on this team, which cannot be overstated from the first 14 or so games of this season. He has clearly had an impact on the fourth line farm, so to speak. He's been the one really tilling the crops in that field, I would think. And He's done such a good job of kind of, you know, showing a good example for those young guys. You see the energy that guys like Brandon Hagel and David Kampf play the game with. And I think that having a guy like Andrew Shaw around to kind of learn from and to watch lead by example, I think, has been really important. And I would also say that I know a lot of the Blackhawks veterans were really excited to see Andrew Shaw back on the ice, especially after everything that he had been through. I think it meant a lot to guys like Duncan Keith and Patrick Kane to see him back out there and thriving again after all of the concussion issues that he's had. And it just, it really was a punch to the gut today when we saw that news. And I know that Jeremy Colleton obviously was really sad during his presser. He was also angry pointing out the elbow to the face that shot during that game against Dallas on Tuesday that ultimately led to this concussion. And it's just, it's such a shame and it's such a bummer that, you know, a story that was so good for the Blackhawks and so good for fans coming into this season and through the first quarter or so of this thing, it's such a bummer that this is where the narrative is right now. And whatever Andrew wants to do, if he wants to come back when he's healthy or if he wants to hang it up either way, obviously, you know, I, I wish him the best of luck in making that decision and I really hope that his recovery is a quick one because it really is a shame that this happened
3: no doubt uh yep you said it perfectly I echo everything you said remember the whole angle of Jeremy Calton's career ending because of concussions so uh he, he knows, knows what it's like yeah he knows what Shaw's going through and uh oh boy just sucks hopefully uh Andrew gets well soon and Whatever he decides, we've got his back. But uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hawks play again Saturday and then Monday, right?
1: That is correct. Yeah,
3: so I don't know. We'll be back at some point. Stuff happens, you know. (laughs)
1: We'll do a thing sometime. (laughs) Or just
3: sort of randomly, you know, we go go as the news goes. So uh, we'll be back early next week at the very, very latest. Uh, So if we don't talk to you by then, have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay home, do all those great things, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast.
2: The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Mariska's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop.